Welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast. This is digital editor Al Lunsford with Lynx, joined as always by my co-host George Pepper today. Uh, George, it's actually been a while since I talked to you. How are things? I know you got some a round coming up this weekend. Yeah, no complaints, uh, except my golf game, but why should I be different? Uh, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. I haven't played in a month and I'm playing in a little tournament, but uh, lots of handicap strokes, so that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Today we're going to talk, as we've done in the past, we're going to talk about uh, our most recent issue of Lynx, the 2021 summer issue. Great picture of King's Barnes on the cover if you've already see, received your copy. Uh, if you haven't, George and I are going to break down a few of the pieces, specifically referencing uh, a few pieces that we've done on courses across the pond, or subjects across the pond, as we get ready to have the first Open Championship in two years. We should probably do this podcast with British accents, because everything we're going to be talking about has to do with uh, golf courses across the pond. Well, you lived over there for quite some time. I think yours might be better than mine. How long did <laughs> yeah. you live in Scotland? Uh, well, almost eight years, uh, full time. I wish I could still be there, but my visa ran out, so they booted me out of the country. So. Shoot. <laughs> and we had some kids and grandchildren to get back to, but yeah, I had a great time there. Of course. And you go back quite often when, when you can, outside of the past year or so? Yeah, he headed back, uh, I hope, uh, late August, so. Looking forward to that. It's been two years. Wow. Well, in the meantime, the subject of your column in the summer issue, uh, as you said, you had a chance to talk to the Claret Jug, uh, which was a, a I'm assuming, a, a very tough guest to get. But it sounded like, uh, as you said, the coveted decanter was ready to have a natter. Yes, he was. He had been uh, lonely, too, because of all these uh, COVID restrictions. You know, he lives in a display case in the front hall of the RNA in St. Andrews. And uh, normally you get dozens, if not hundreds of people passing through that front hall every day. But uh, what with the pandemic, it, uh, it's been restricted to the porters, a few workmen, and the occasional member who stumbles in when allowed. So, uh, yeah, he was quite ready to chat, and uh, he's had an interesting life, and I, I learned a lot from him. I really enjoy talking to inanimate objects. I, I'm not as nervous with the questions, you know, and I, I guess I feel a little bit like the lawyer who says, uh, never ask a qu question that you don't already know the answer to. So it gives me some comfort. <laughs> but I did learn a lot from uh, CJ, as he likes to, his friends to call him. I was going to say, you've had the chance to talk to some some very well-known uh, inanimate objects over the years in the golf world. The Saracen Bridge, most recently, you talked to. Uh, yeah. Who else have you I, have you had the chance to, to have a conversation? Oh boy! Well, twenty years ago, I talked to the U.S. Open Trophy, who was very interesting as well. I think I had a chat with the Hinkle Tree, which you may be too young to remember. That was a famous tree the USGA installed at Inverness just before the U.S. Open there, and I think it was maybe just seventy-nine, something like that. Uh, and uh, that was a really interesting chat, and uh, I can't, there are a couple of others as well, but uh, it's, as I say, it's always fun when you can get these uh, these folks to sit down. I assume that you have seen in person CJ, uh, but I don't know that you've gotten your hands on him. I, I learned that from your column that not many people have actually 
touched the original claret jug, and and why is that? Yeah, well, that's uh, that's something I learned. In fact, I asked him. I learned a lot of stuff. I asked him. Uh, you know, when Tom Morris won the young Tom Morris famously won the uh, championship belt, which was the original Open Trophy, uh, three years in a row, they retired it, and he so he won it sixty eight, sixty nine, and seventy. That's eighteen, sixty eight, seventy nine, sixty nine, seventy. And so I said, so you must have come in. To uh, being in, 19, in 1871, they said, "Oh no, you idiot! You're so uninformed." Uh, what in fact happened was uh, Presswick Golf Club had paid for that uh, belt. They had all the first dozen opens at Presswick, and the Presswick members were so flummoxed uh, when young Tom Morris, according to the rules, retired it and took it home with him. They didn't have a trophy for the next year. So what did they do? They didn't hold the event. They actually didn't hold the 1871 Open Championship because they didn't have anything to present the winner. And the year after that, it went to St. Andrews, and they still didn't have a trophy. They, a young Tom Morris won it again, and this time all he got was a gold medal. So it took him until 1873 to uh, come up with a trophy, and what happened was they uh, kind of uh, pooled the uh, money from uh, Presswick and the RNA and Muirfield, the Honorable Company of Edinburgh Golfers. They contributed 10 pounds, and that created our friend CJ, who, who is now uh, 148 years old and is quite proud of his fitness at that age. So, uh, but I, you know, if you ask him, uh, what What's it like? Uh, I asked him this. What's it like living in the homes of these champion golfers of the year? I mean, you've spent you know three years each with Nicholas and Tiger Woods. He says, "I said that I can't imagine what what that must be like." And he said, "Neither can I, Laddie." I said, well, "What do you mean?" He said, "Well, once again, you're brimming with ignorance. In the last 95 years, I've only been held in the hands of one Open champion, and that was an accident. So I, I was obviously." quite intrigued by this. We went a little bit further. It turns out, uh, back in 1927, uh, the RNA decided that the claret jug had become such an iconic piece of silverware that it shouldn't be allowed out in public lest someone kidnap it, <laughs> kidnap him. And uh, so they, actually what they did was create another one, a replica. And uh, C.J. calls his replica Gully. I say, why Gully? Well, it's, it's Gulliver. He's the traveling version, the show pony, who gets to go to all these homes. Well, the claret jug, the actual claret jug, the one I talked to, has sat in that display case for the last nearly 100 years. He's not happy about it, but he's gotten over it, I think, in the long run. He said, I'm old enough now that I don't need to travel. But so the uh, the reason they, uh, they made this ruling partly, I think, was – in 1926, Bobby Jones had won the U.S. Open, and uh, he took the trophy to Eastlake, his home club down in Atlanta, and there was a fire, and the trophy perished along with everything else in the fire. And a year later, uh, Walter Hagen uh, won the um, PGA and lost the trophy in a New York taxi cab. So I think all the, the powers of being golf had become a little bit concerned with protecting their uh, their hardware. And so that's what happened, and they created this traveling version. And uh, as I say, CJ sits there. He says it's not horrible. Uh, he gets to chat every now and then with uh, his, his clone, Gulliver, and uh, apparently Gulliver has some great tales to tell from his travels. 
Very interesting. And looking back at 1871, imagine just because there's no trophy or prize to give to someone, they decide not to hold a golf tournament. Yeah, yeah, you know, those wacky Scots. Uh, CJ said he his speculation was they were just too cheap to come up with another trophy and hold another tournament, uh, but those being the thrifty Scots. But, uh, and he also was a little bit bitter that, that each of the three clubs contributed only 10 pounds to the making of himself. But he said, I guess I did all right in the end. So, uh, so he said, uh, I, 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 I may be only uh, a couple stone. I don't know what he is, 20 pounds, not even, he's probably 12 pounds, something like that. He said, I'm very fit, much more than uh, Wanamaker and, and uh, the U.S. Open Trophy, which are big, bloated boys. <laughs> so he's uh, he's bitter but proud. Yeah, and we saw he, he referenced Colin Morikawa trying to hoist up Wanamaker last year and having the top fall off from the amount of, of weight. Right, he said it's no wonder. Game. He said that, that Wanamaker has just let himself go become bloated and the sad th- thing is it's all around the middle so of course you worry about his heart but uh if that's the way he wants to live that's fine but uh, cj likes to be lean and mean so the first year they use cj the claret jug they have to catch up and and write all the guys that are that were had won the event uh when the claret jug doesn't didn't exist yeah and that was not good for him i uh the, the one guy, parenthetically, the one champion who has touched him in the last century is uh, Tom Watson, who for some reason, I don't know how the RNA got things screwed up that year, but he said he was yanked unceremoniously out of his display case uh, the Monday of the Open and trotted down to Troon, where he spent a glorious week watching the Open, meeting a lot of people, and then the week, the like, Sunday of the Open, I guess it's the Monday morning, off he goes in the Concorde to the U.S. He said it was my first plane flight. Can you imagine that? And then I go on the Concorde. So he spent that entire year in Kansas City, which uh, was not the greatest thing he said. And actually, Tom Watson uh, was taking a practice swing in his house and caught C.J. who was on the mantle and knocked him to the floor, put a big dent in him, uh, which had to be repaired. And um, I asked him, I said, that must have been painful. And this is where we get to the engraving. He said, not nearly as painful as being engraved. And he'd said that first year when they had to catch up with whatever it was, a dozen, 13 guys, they had to put them all in there. He says, and where, where do you think they choose to put the names? Right underneath my spout. And I, and I kind of winced. He said, yeah, imagine yourself getting tattoos on your lower lip and you'll have some idea what that felt like. So he's a... Uh, had a, some, some interesting experiences in his life. As a result, he uh, is controlled who he roots for uh, in each Open Championship, the guy with the shortest name, basically. So I asked him who he's, who's his man this year. He said very quickly, John Rahm. So we can only hope that John uh, recuperates from his present travails and uh, is there at Royal St. George's. What a story that would be, and you know, unintentionally foreshadowing from you uh, and CJ here, uh, a story of maybe of redemption after what happened here at the memorial. That would be, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and there's, it's an interesting fact also. I asked him, um, so what did, what, what did, what are they going to, I see you're not engraved 
for last year. They, aren't they going to put some sort of uh, global virus or something? And he just he said, I don't know. The RNA is being strangely secretive about that. Um, I, I, they're going to announce what they're going to put in 2020 at the same time that the winter for 2021 is uh, declared. So he said, I'm hoping for a very simple COVID. There you go. Yeah, and it's interesting. I, I know the, uh, the the club committee of the RNA uh, was discussing. I have a friend who's on the committee. He asked me, you know, what would you want to put? I said, I think I said something like global virus. Um, but uh, they have not divulged. I, don't know, I guess they're making this uh, some sort of a media event. So mm. Why not go for it? Yeah, of course. So I'm going to try my best to tie all these together. It, it actually is probably pretty easy. You you referenced young Tom Morris earlier, and the another sub another subject of uh, of one of our features in this issue is old Tom Morris, which right. this year would be his 200th birthday. Yeah, next week would be his 200th birthday, and uh, he was golf's first renaissance man. I mean, he was at the time the best golfer in the world. There wasn't a, a, a big field at, the, at that point, but uh, he was the guy, he's a really a, one of the first, not perhaps the first, but among the first half dozen architects. Uh, he was the first golf course superintendent. Uh, he made golf equipment. In fact, I think he invented the cup into which we put a ball. Uh, it was on the, the 11th hole uh, of the old course, which is really, it's the by far the most heavily sloped green on the golf course. And uh, they were having trouble stopping the ball downhill putts. It was just going sailing over uh, the hole. And uh, it also, it was, it was tougher to keep the roundness and the uh, sort of the, the shape of the hole um, as it was rudimentarily dug. So Tom came up with putting a tin can in there, and thus was born the cup. So, I mean, there's so many contributions. Uh, every major architect uh, of certainly the 19th and early 20th century went and listened and studied at the knee of old Tom Morris and uh, his influence continues. He's designed over a hundred golf courses. And uh, that's, that was pretty much the focus of the piece by uh, <clears throat> Roger McStravick, who is uh, a local St. Andrian who has written two books that have won the prestigious Herbert Warren wind award from the USGA is the best golf book of the year. So he did a, a very good job of, uh, outlining uh, old Tom's uh, efforts as a golf course architect for us. He certainly did. And the very end of that piece, Roger gave his old Tom top 10. I don't know if you have these right in front of you or if you remember all of these. Yeah. Uh, well, I, you know, the old course would have been right at the top. And I don't think people realize, uh, of course, it's like uh, Royal County Down, a gorgeous golf course in, in Northern Ireland is an old Tom Morris. Course, of course, Prestwick, uh, where he was the keeper of the green before he made his uh, mark at St. Andrews, really. Um, then there's one near St. Andrews, uh, Balcomi Crail, which is one of my favorite golf courses. Uh, it's just, it's, I think it's par 69. It's, uh, you can get as close to the water there. There is one tee where if the tide is in and the wind is blowing, you're, the bottom half of your 
legs get wet as you tee off. It's just the spray is right on you there. Um, Muirfield, another Tom Morris. Now, that's really a Harry Colt design, but Tom set out the first uh, sort of routing, I think it was like 16 holes uh, before uh, Colt got there. Uh, then there's one up in uh, in northern um, Northern Ireland, sorry, uh, Rosa Pena. Uh, it's the Donegal Links. It's uh, raw, scenic. Uh, not everybody has gotten up there, but it's one that shouldn't be missed. And, uh, of course, Royal Dornick. Uh, what's better than that? Um, Cruden Bay, again, one of my favorite golf courses. It's, uh, you know, a lot of people take trips to Scotland. They don't know anything about Cruden Bay. They'll play seven or eight golf courses. The consensus will be that the favorite was Cruden Bay. It's just, it's a charmer. Um, Macrohanish, uh, another one that's a little hard to get there, but certainly worth the trip with, uh, famously the best opening hole in the world, which is kind of a Cape hole par four bite off as much of the hazard as you dare and in this case the hazard is the Atlantic Ocean so that's a pretty cool way to start a golf course and last one I, I really don't know is Royal North Devon I have not uh, gotten to the uh, that part of uh, England but I know it has a great great reputation so those are just 10 I could probably rattle off another 10 uh, many of which a lot of people would know the names of what's the first one that comes to mind that's not on that list don't put me to that test. I said I could probably. I, I, there's a lot of them where I'm pretty sure uh, he did it. I think he was involved with the new course at St. Andrews. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's uh, Tom Morrison. Boy, that's if that weren't next to the old course, it's uh, it would be very highly regarded. Right. Well, let's take our transition again here. And, and one of the courses on that list was Royal Dornick the subject of Joe Passoff's Paragon piece uh, about after-dinner golf, best twilight golf courses in the world. Uh, Joe chose Royal Dornick. Yeah, I think that was a brilliant choice. Uh, well, there's a practical reason for it, number one. The idea here being you can get in 18 holes after dinner, so to speak. And if you go to Royal Dornick being... Uh, roughly on the same latitude of, I'm going to say, 100 miles north of Moscow, Russia, because I know St. Andrews is the same latitude as Moscow. So it stays light pretty long in the summer. Uh, I would say you can probably play until 10.30, maybe even 11 o'clock at night there. So... Uh, Plenty of time for dinner, uh, after dinner drink, and then stumble out to the first tee and play 18 holes. And uh, yeah, it's just it's a beautiful golf course. It's set uh, beside the water, but it also has some elevation change in it. Um, the famous pushed-up greens that uh, Donald Ross, who was uh, who sort of cut his teeth there as a golfer and learned a lot about golf architecture. Um, that is the hallmark of the golf course, really. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a great line. Uh, the I don't have this perfect, but it's something like the hardest approach shot in golf is the second shot to the second hole at Royal Dornick. The second hole at Royal Dornick being a par three. <laughs> and, and most people miss the green, and then you have an impossible shot. It's 
very uh, tightly uh, bunkered and it's got all sorts of humps and hollows. And you know, if you don't hit it, in, if you don't hit it in one, you're probably not going to hit it in two. Maybe not in three. So, um, and it's the greatest hole. There's one called Foxy, which uh, plays to a green sort of angle to the uh, path of the hole, and it's uh, and again a heavily a, a very elevated green. Uh, it's hard to find as it is hard to putt. So, um, but to play it late in the afternoon is really a, a magical experience. I, I've played it uh, maybe a half a dozen times. I think probably most memorably with my son. And I think that's the most fun when you can play. You'll, you'll get a taste of this before long, I'm sure. But uh, when you can go out and play uh, golf with your son and just the two of you and, uh, in an idyllic setting like that, it's pretty cool. Can't wait for that. So three other courses that Joe says glow in the gloaming are uh, Alberta's Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge, uh, which sunset doesn't occur until at least 10, 15 p.m., so you got plenty of time to play after dinner there. Uh, the Lynx of North Dakota uh, is another one, and Norway's Lofoten Lynx, which I know is it's on your list uh, your your ultimate bucket list. I remember reading that one. Have you gotten the chance to play there? Yet? No. Well, I haven't gotten a chance to play much of anywhere in the last couple of years. But uh, sure. no, I keep looking for an excuse and a way to to do it. I was going to do a piece for Links, but uh, our friend Nick Edmond, who is a frequent contributor to Links, uh, pitched that piece to us, and he's going to do. Uh, I think it's for the next issue. Uh, no, it'd be probably the winter. Uh, 2022 issue of Link's uh, Peace on the Phone. That is there, you actually can play under the Northern Lights in Norway. It is the northernmost Lynx course in the world. Uh, I would uh, exhort people right now to just uh, Google this thing and then look at Google Images, L-O-F-O-T-E-N. Uh, it looks, it looks it as if you're playing on the moon. And uh, I know it's been kind of, uh, it, it, it's been around for a while, but it was spruced up not too long ago. And uh, yeah, I, boy, I hope I get there before I die. <laughs> yeah, some really good pictures of that place. And you, just as you always do, George, you, you perfectly led me into my segue into the final piece. I was wondering how I'd get back around to the open, but you mentioned Nick Edmond, and he's the man, the author of, uh, the Shadow Rota piece that we did, uh, highlighting 18 courses that are in the shadow of the nine on the open rotation. 18 exceptional golf courses, that is. Right. This kind of grew out of uh, Royal St. George is uh, being very close to another course, Royal St. Ports, I mean, walking distance, uh, and also known as Deal. And it's every bit worthy of, of holding an open. So the notion of this article was, what are the courses that live in the shadow of the great open, the nine now uh, open championship courses? And what I asked Nick to do was try to choose one obvious one and one just less obvious, a little bit more out of the way, maybe just a fun golf course that shouldn't be missed. And of course he, as he always does, did a great job. Uh, set it up sort of as a dream where uh, a guy awakens from a dream and, uh, and it's his dream 18 times. Uh, what's well, actually, is it? Uh, yeah, it's 18 courses. Yeah. And, uh, and, and he sort of takes us from 
is being played this year up to the west coast, the Lancashire coast of England, uh, through um, three golf courses there, uh, Hoylake, uh, Lytham, and Birkdale, and then gives us, in each case, two golf courses, and then we eventually get up to Scotland and see all those, and of course Northern Ireland as well. So it's, it's quite a tour. I, uh, he, there were some courses on there that uh, I had heard of, uh, a couple I hadn't heard of, and uh, that's always good for me. It's uh, and I think I think the readers will, will learn something from this piece too, and it's fun to read. For sure, we we actually did a digital piece recently. Of Tony Deere did a piece on ten hidden gems in Scotland, and we've gotten good feedback from people who didn't know some of the names as well. And this is the same exact kind of idea: uh, adding more and more courses to. Yeah. The, the well, he, he has another one of my bucket list courses on there, uh, Rye, uh, which I, I hear is just great fun to play. And I just, you know, it's just a, I never made it there. So, uh, giving me another reason to address that evil. And uh, Wallacey, there are so many in the Lancaster coast area. I've never heard of one. He, uh, Delamere Forest near the Roman town of Chester. It's kind of a Heathland course, something like Walton Heath, and that sounds interesting. Never heard of it. How many of the current open road courses have you had the chance to play? Oh, I've been lucky to play all of them. Oh, yeah. Great. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a, a favorite outside of the old course? Obviously, uh, oddly, I, I you know I forget who said it. There's the open, there's the open in Scotland, and there's the open at St Andrews. So I would take it from there. Um, it, the old co- course would be my favorite. I put uh, Carnoustie probably in second. Uh, it's hard, but I really enjoy Carnoustie. Uh, Turnberry is uh, it's it's good and it's gotten even better with, with the uh, the new ninth and tenth holes. Um, the, the ones in England, um, uh, I know Birkdale has the respect of everyone. It's the most straightforward. Uh, you don't go across the sand hills. You play, play within them there and you don't get as many crazy lies there as you, you do. I find Hoylake a little dull. I find Lytham dull. Um, oh, I've, I love Portrush. I forgot about that. So, and I'm sure, oh, Troon, I'm not a fan of Troon. Um, I once dismissed that as uh, six dull holes, six interesting holes, six dull holes. <laughs> so if there are Troon fans out there, you're free to hate me. Well, everyone's got an opinion, so I hope we hear back from some people about your opinion as well. But, George, I appreciate your time. I know, I know this is uh, a, an issue that even veteran travelers to – Scotland and England and across the pond will will have fun with adding to their lists when they get the chance to go back. We always appreciate you breaking everything down for us. Uh, it's a lovely issue. Please check it out. Uh, these these stories will be circulating online as well. So at at some point, if you're not a subscriber, you'll see them online. But if you aren't, I would suggest go pick up a subscription and and catch our next issue, which George. I'm sure will join us again to break down. Absolutely, Al. It's always good to talk to you, and I uh, look forward to I think we might get a chance to play golf in a couple of weeks. I'm hearing that, and I hope that's true. <laughs> All right. Talk to you soon. All right.